Hey, this is Scott McCandless, and just before we get to our story today, I'd like to briefly share some information about another podcast that you might like to listen to, especially if, like me, you are into history. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico, from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. The History of North America podcast series is an incredible historical adventure that chronicles the thrilling, action-packed tale of a continent. I invite you to come along for the ride. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents. In my last regular episode, episode 5.5, A Very Able Young Man, I told the story of the rise of Jeroboam, who the Bible tells us was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Today I want to turn to the story of Jeroboam's main rival, King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. According to the Bible, Rehoboam inherited an enormous kingdom from his father, and within a matter of days of his coronation, managed to reduce it to a small remnant that consisted only of his own tribe. So how exactly does someone fail so spectacularly? Well, it seems that there is a story there. This is retelling the Bible. Episode 5.7 The Wannabe Scorpion King Rehoboam, 
would never forget one day, when he was just a young man. His father had come to the royal apartments in the early evening. It had been planned that Solomon would take his evening meal with Rehoboam's mother and some of the other wives in her cohort, and Rehoboam, as one of the king's eldest sons and, even then, his designated heir, had been invited to take a place at the table. During the meal, Solomon had gone on and on about a young man he had met that day, an Ephraimite who had been sent to serve the king by his people. He seems to be such an able young man, the king said. Why, you should have seen this wall that he designed. It was so well built that I expect that it will stand for a thousand years. The king spoke so long about this Ephraimite, his name was Jeroboam, that Rehoboam would have stabbed the man to death just to get the king to shut up. Now, honestly, Rehoboam didn't really have anything against the young man, Jeroboam. It was just that he had never heard his father talk about him in that way. Solomon was always so critical. He went on and on about Rehoboam's failures and shortcomings, and he was always full of advice for how his son could have done better. The message seemed clear. Solomon was disappointed in how his son had turned out, and was no doubt afraid that his heir would never measure up or be worthy of the kingdom that was to be handed down to him. It was on that very evening that Rehoboam made a vow. He swore to himself that he would not only match the achievements of his father, he would be a much greater king than ever his father had been. He would show everyone that he was certainly better than some lousy Ephraimite. From that point on, Rehoboam sought to surround himself only with people who he thought believed in him and in what he could do. He found that the advisors of his father were only filled with criticism and judgment of him. So he selected for himself companions from among their sons. He and these friends of his would spend their days talking together about all that they would accomplish once Rehoboam had come into his kingdom. Often, when they had gone through many a wineskin together, they would get very specific about what they would do differently. You know what Solomon doesn't understand? asked Adoram one afternoon, after the group had enjoyed a particularly animated time with some of the palace serving girls. 
Adoram was the son of one of the tribal leaders in Judah, and one of Rehoboam's most devoted friends. I mean, I'll give to your dad that he has accomplished some great projects, Adoram went on. But he is really too easy on the people, especially the people of the northern tribes. These people are so lazy and disrespectful, but Solomon's officials are always giving in to their demands. If only they could be shown a firm hand, they could accomplish so much more, and surely they would be happier because their lives would actually have some meaning. This explanation by Adoram was received with much praise by the group. They began to laugh and joke and tell stories about the dirty and lazy Ephraimites that they had encountered over the years. Eventually, Rehoboam rose to his feet, though managing to rise from his couch was a bit of a feat in his present state of inebriation. Adoram, my, my dear friend, he declared, you are indeed the wisest of friends. When I come into my power, I shall make you the manager of all forced labor in my kingdom. Together we shall accomplish so much. At this pronouncement, the entire room erupted in a cheer as some cried out, A toast! A toast to Adoram, the taskmaster! They waited a long time to see their plans come to fruition. Solomon sat on his throne for 40 years all told, while Rehoboam and his gang entered and passed through the prime of life. But the day did finally come when the king rested with his fathers, and it was Rehoboam's big chance to shine. He went with all of the court to Shechem, which was, everyone agreed, the proper place for a king of all Israel to be crowned. It should have been the best day of Rehoboam's life, the day when he finally showed the world what he was made of. But it kind of turned into a disaster. After the sacrifices had been performed and the anointing had been completed, Rehoboam sat on his throne upon a high platform and waited for the representatives of the tribes to come forward and pledge their fealty. Judah went first, and the tribal representative was appropriately fawning and deferential. But next, it was the turn of Ephraim, which was given the honor because of its importance in the northern part of the kingdom. Rehoboam stiffened suddenly as he saw the speaker from Ephraim step forth. He knew that man. 
It had been many years since he had served his father in Jerusalem, but he would never forget that face. It was Jeroboam, the man whose ingenuity Solomon had praised so many years before. After Jeroboam had so deftly impressed King Solomon while serving in Jerusalem, he had been given a new task. He had been set in charge of the forced labor for the tribes of the north. It had been a great honor, and yet the man had shown his true character by rebelling against those orders. Instead of organizing the workers, he had begun to organize the resistance among the tribes of the north. Fortunately, King Solomon had gotten word of what was going on and had sent his warriors to arrest the rebel. Jeroboam had escaped and fled into Egypt, where Pharaoh Shishak had a policy of protecting insurrectionists from various nations because he delighted in having destabilizing influences. So Jeroboam had not been seen inside of Israel for many years. He had mostly been forgotten in the south, but apparently not in the north. The Ephraimites had clearly sent word to him as soon as the news of Solomon's death had gotten out and now Shishak had released him and was no doubt laughing to himself at all the disruption that this would cause. Jeroboam stepped in front of the assembly, seemingly oblivious to the hostile stare directed towards him from the throne. All that was expected of him was that he should bow and pledge service to the king on behalf of his tribe. But just about everyone present recognized that whatever was coming was not going to simply fit the established forms. They all fell silent as Jeroboam spoke. My lord, the king, your father made our yoke heavy. A murmur passed through the crowd as the speaker took a pause for effect. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and this heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. This prompted a great cheer from those gathered from the northern tribes, while an expression of rage echoed from the mouths of the southerners. Rehoboam stood, a studied, neutral expression on his face, while he waited for the noise to subside. But inside, 
His emotions were fighting with each other for control. He was surprised by this, the first experience of resistance that he had ever faced in his life. He was enraged that this Jeroboam, this old enemy from childhood, had returned to challenge him yet again. But most of all, he was frightened, frightened that he would now never be the king he still believed that he was meant to be. Rehoboam waited quite a while for the noise to subside. But when it did, he still didn't know how to respond. Finally, in desperation, he managed to stammer out, Go away for three days. Then come back to me again, and I will give you my answer. Ugh. Did these old men ever get tired of hearing the sound of their own voices? Rehoboam had called in the advisors who had served his father for so many years to ask them how he should respond to this challenge from the northern tribes. Their answer was as unanimous as it was ridiculous. If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. There was no way that Rehoboam was going to speak to them like that. And he didn't care that the old men were saying that he didn't even need to mean it. That he could just say whatever they wanted to hear and then, once they had gone home, just continue to use them as his father had done. That didn't matter. Didn't they understand that a king couldn't show weakness, not even for a moment? So he told them, straight out, that they were no longer relevant and their wisdom was not needed. <laughs> he relished the stunned look on their faces as he stood up and swept out of the room. The advice that he got from the gang that he had grown up with was much more to his liking. When he told them what the old men had said, they all had a really good laugh at that. Adoram was particularly witty. You need to shut down these comparisons to your father right now, my lord, he said. You know what you really ought to say to the people? You should say, you think you were impressed by my father's manhood? My little finger is thicker than my father's dick. <laughs> Actually, Rehoboam didn't quite catch 
Adoram's last word as the entire room erupted with a mixture of laughter and shock at the mockery of Solomon's anatomy. But that didn't actually matter, because even Rehoboam knew that it wasn't worth the trouble to say something like that in front of the gathered tribes. But after the laughter subsided, the group did workshop a statement that the king could make that he really did like. Oh yes, he was going to let those ignorant tribesmen have it when they gathered again. So it was that on the third day, the gathering of the tribes at Shechem stood in silence and full of anticipation as the king came to stand in front of them again. This time, the king's hostility and disdain were clear to everyone who looked upon him. But still, they waited to hear what he might say. The answer that had sounded so defiant and strong as the king had discussed it with his buddies did not quite ring out in the same way among the assembly. But still, he managed to shout it out with what he thought sounded like defiance. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Somehow these words didn't quite inspire the fear that he had expected. In fact, he thought he might have heard some sniggering laughter from the crowd. And then, slowly at first, a song began to be sung among the men of Ephraim, Manasseh, and the other tribes. It was an old song that was said to have first been sung in the days of Rehoboam's grandfather. But soon the men of the north took it up with great fervor. What share do we have in David? We've no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own household, David. Okay, okay. I know. But it sounded better in Hebrew. The men of Israel began to leave. Rehoboam didn't believe that the men of Israel would really follow through on their threat to separate. So once again, he met with his friends and they came up with a plan. Adoram would go with a small group of taskmasters and call the people of Israel to their work. The king himself would also go 
surrounded only by his personal bodyguards, and he would look on the work from a distance to show them how little he feared them. They were convinced that the men of Israel would be so cowed by the mere presence of a king anointed by Yahweh that they were simply capitulate. Messengers had been sent ahead, ordering the men of working age to gather to receive their duties. And when the king saw how many had come, he smirked with satisfaction. Oh, these people were sheep. It was almost too easy. Adoram advanced, full of confidence, and he spoke haughtily to the assembled Israelites. But then one of them interrupted him just when he was getting to the good part. So... <laughs> Let's see these scorpions of yours. Adoram was confused. Scorpions? he asked. Yes, your boss promised that he would whip us with scorpions. We only came to see if what he said was true. You ignorant Israelites! You wouldn't even know a metaphor if it... Adoram froze suddenly in mid-sentence as he saw a rock sailing through the air. It just missed his left shoulder. The next rock didn't miss at all, nor did very many of those that came after it. The taskmasters around him fled in utter confusion. King Rehoboam was sickened by the sight of his best friend's body being turned into a bloody pulp. But he had no time to grieve. He turned immediately and jumped to the back of his chariot, ordering his driver to get him out of here right now. Rehoboam rode all the way back to Jerusalem, barely even allowing his driver to stop and rest the horses. But once he was back in his city and surrounded by his friends again, his fear turned to anger. All of them were enraged by the death of Adoram, and they began to talk each other into believing that there was only one way to avenge what they called this great dishonor. Before he knew it, the king was sending for his generals and commanding that there be a great rallying of all the fighting men of Judah and their vassals, the Benjaminites. Rehoboam was going to go to war. It took weeks to gather the forces, but in time they came together, gathering in the territory of Benjamin, not far from the borders with Ephraim. 
Rehoboam looked out over the army. One hundred and eighty units had gathered, and his heart swelled with pride. Now, finally, the world would see what kind of king he could be. He would show them what real strength was like. He stepped onto his chariot and gave the order that the troops should begin to move. But then, suddenly, and seemingly out of nowhere, a man appeared directly in the path of the king. It was Shemaiah, who was widely recognized to be a prophet of Yahweh among the Judahites. Rehoboam groaned to himself as the man raised his staff and began to speak. The last thing they needed right now was an interruption. These people were ready to go. They were fired up. But no one dared to interrupt a prophet who was speaking the word of Yahweh. So the whole company fell silent as Shemaiah raised his voice. Thus says Yahweh, You shall not go up or fight against your kindred, the people of Israel. Let everyone go home, for this thing is from me. Did Rehoboam and his friends care about the words that came from the addled mind of some prophet? They did not. Surely, the king said to himself, surely the people know that I have been chosen by Yahweh to lead them. They must listen to me first. He drew his sword and waved it in the air. What does a prophet know of matters of state? I tell you, men of Judah and men of Benjamin, that God shall give me the victory. You must only advance. And with that, Rehoboam's driver whipped his horses, and they started off towards Ephraim. The king's friends also started forward in their chariots. But behind them, the men of the tribes did not move. There was no debate or question among them. They simply looked at each other, and they all knew what every other man was thinking. Not one of them would dare to act against the word of Yahweh. They turned and began to disperse each one to his own home. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh came together with the other eight tribes of the north, and they brought before them Jeroboam, son of Nebat, 
they anointed him as king over them. Every man among them swore that he would never bend the knee before the house of David. Not ever. Poor Rehoboam really did not get good representation in the Bible. He is the one who gets blamed for the dissolution of the great kingdom that had once been claimed by the house of David. Now, the official line in the Book of Kings is that the blame for this actually rests with the excesses of King Solomon. According to the prophet Ahijah, who appeared in my previous episode, it was Solomon's marriages to multiple foreign women and his embrace of their gods that was the true cause of the dissolution. But clearly, the book also seems to think that the weakness of Rehoboam's character and his failure to consult worthy advisers was the mechanism by which God carried out this judgment. I cannot help but feel a little bit sorry for Rehoboam. What would it have been like to grow up as one of maybe hundreds of sons of King Solomon, to live in that toxic competition between siblings and rival wives. And how hard is it to be the heir of the man that everyone calls the greatest king ever seen? How does one live up to a legacy like that? And how do you live with yourself when you fail? That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Crusade Heavy Industry. The music is by Kevin McLeod. It is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible. And I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>